0: I wanna invite you to turn on your Bibles, please, to the book of James. We're gonna be in James chapter five. Um, Towards the end of last year, a very good friend of mine uh, encouraged me to read a book about fathering sons that had been recently released by a very very well-known pastor and popular uh, uh, Christian author. My friend promised me that this book was going to change my life. But to be quite honest, I was left a little underwhelmed. And and I'm a little reluctant to say that because I sound so judgmental. And I I just want to acknowledge, I could not have written the book that he had written. But it just felt way too prescriptive. It had way too many do's and don'ts. And and after getting halfway through the book, I decided to stop. There were some helpful ideas, but... If I had followed the book and as, as closely as I should have and, 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 and applied the teaching as, as uh, intently as I was encouraged to by the author, it actually would have squeezed the life out of my relationship with Cade rather than releasing life into it. And I think that's the challenge with a lot of Christian books, especially with Christian books that are written about relationships. They... They don't understand and they don't speak to the specific personalities that are involved in the unique seasons that we find ourselves in. Some of you have heard me say that the problem with all the books written on marriage is that none of the authors are married to my wife because it's in being in relationship and working together on our relationship, navigating the ups and downs together that the general principles that we can all learn and benefit from find their specific and practical outworking in our relationships. And that's true for prayer as well. Today's message is the third in our six part series entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Prayer is an active exercise of a personal relationship with the living God. And I say that because to get the most out of this sermon and to get the most out of this series, you'll need to take the time and the effort to put what you learn into practice, into the unique context of your relationship with God. I love what D.A. Carson, who is a Christian author, says about this. Listen to this. As in other intimate relationships, so in prayer... You have to find out by trial and error, what is right for you, and you learn to pray by praying. I love that, you learn to pray by praying. The only rule is, he goes on to say, as with any relationship, time together is the most important and the most valuable. There's one other thing that I just wanna be clear about uh, before we get into the text today. And that is that the that series in general and the sermon in particular is by no means me standing at the finish line as it were, looking back and saying, I want you to come and join me where, where I am as if I've somehow arrived. That's definitely not the case. I am very much on a journey with you. I'm very much in the trenches with you trying to figure this out and hopefully doing so as we grow together. So with that as the context, let's look at James chapter five, and we're gonna be reading from verse 12. And the the plan today is that I hope to go through this text kind of line by line, and then at the end, leaving us some practical things that we can take away and put into practice. So starting at verse 12, James chapter five, he writes, "'Above all, my brothers and sisters, "'do not swear, not by heaven or by earth "'or by anything else, All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil uh, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. If you've been part of a church, even this one for any length of time, I'm pretty sure that you at some point would have heard someone say something along the lines of, oh, if only our church could be like the church in the book of Acts. Maybe you've even thought it or said it yourself. In the book of Acts, we read some pretty impressive things. We, we read about cities being turned upside down as the Holy Spirit moves in signs wonders and miraculous power as the gospel was being preached and people are giving their lives in droves to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And as spectacular and as breathtaking as that is, I want us to know that God wants our sights to be way higher than the book of Acts. These were churches in their infancy and Jesus promises to return for his bride, for his church that is a mature church without spot or wrinkle or blemish. And so yes, let's pray and let's do all that we can to become like the churches that we read about in the book of Acts, but as that as a basement or or that as a starting point, certainly not as a ceiling. Jesus wants so much more, from his church and wants to do so much more with his church. But having said that, the church that started all, the church that was given birth at, when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem was certainly an impactful and an influential church by any standards. About 3,000 people were, were, were added to the church on the, on the very first day and continually people from whether it's the priestly ruling class all the way through to beggars in the road were, were being added into the church and it grew and grew and began to transform the city. And even when that church faced persecution and was scattered, it survived and planted other church, churches just like it throughout Judea and Samaria. If we long to be like the church in Jerusalem and the others that we read about in the book of Acts, and if we long to see God move in and through our lives in a life life transforming way with His power, and then from this church into our city and beyond, then we need to ensure that our desire for this is transformed into obedient action. And that's why books like the book of James are so helpful. You see, in essence, the book of James is a collection of sermon notes of sorts that James would have preached to the church in Jerusalem that he led. It's, it's a description of the church in Jerusalem from the inside, what everyday expectations for church life together look like. And I think there are five things from the text that I just read that show us what church life in Jerusalem looked like. I wanna quickly mention one and two And then we're gonna spend most of our time on uh, three, four, and five. Firstly, the church in Jerusalem was an authentic church. They were honest with one another and about their highs and their lows and their victories and their failures. In in verse 12, James, as he often does throughout this epistle, echoes Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. And he tells us, he tells them, he tells us that our yes should mean yes. And i no know, no, there shouldn't be any need to swear by something else, or in our case, to add an I promise to something that we said we would do. Friends, churches that thrive under the hand of God are those where the people within that church walk in complete honesty and with integrity with one another. Not only was the church in Jerusalem an authentic church, but it was also, secondly, a community church. This was not a church made up of private individuals living out their private lives with their private concerns. But as Acts chapter two tells us, this was a church where all the believers were together and they had everything in common, which meant that if someone received good news, then everyone celebrated. Or if someone was in trouble or ill, they would weep and pray together. Or if someone sinned, they would help to find, help this person find forgiveness. This was a church where the meeting of hearts was way more important than just church meetings. And so the church in Jerusalem was, and I I hope this is true for Anthem Church too, it, it was an authentic church and it was a community church, but it's the next three characteristics that I wanna focus on for the rest of our time. Verse 13 tells us that the church in Jerusalem was also thirdly a praying church. James writes, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. You see, for for the folks in the church in Jerusalem, their natural instinct in every situation was to bring things to the Lord in prayer, whether with glad and rejoicing hearts or whether through tears. How do you respond to the situations that you find yourself in? Do you take time to pray about them? Or do you dismiss prayer as some sort of religious ritual? Or, or perhaps you, you've convinced yourself that God is not interested in the details of your lives. Huckleberry Finn, who is a character created by Mark Twain, had a perspective on prayer that I, I think, I suspect that some of us share. And I know for myself, I have at times. Huckleberry Finn says this about prayer, there ain't nothing in it. Perhaps it's ignorance, misunderstanding of the relationship between prayer and the promises of God. Perhaps it's busyness. Perhaps it's really not knowing the character of God. Whatever the reason, perhaps your conviction, if, if pushed, about prayer is it just doesn't work. There's no book in the New Testament that speaks so clearly about prayer than the book of James. In, in In chapter one, verse five and six, James writes this. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Friends, prayer without faith, without trusting God produces nothing. Five minutes of prayer that is based on the conviction that God will do what He said He would do achieves far more than five weeks of prayer, prayerful panicking. He goes on in chapter four, verse two, James does to say this, you do not have because you do not ask. Not only does prayer without faith produce nothing, but prayer without, uh, uh, with faith without prayer. Faith without putting faith into action produces nothing. And then he goes on in verse three to say, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Prayer with faith, but without surrender to the will and character of God produces nothing. And then in the text that we've just read, five, seven times prayer is mentioned. I say all of that to say James believes, and I hope that you and I will at the end of the series, that the prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of someone who is hidden in Jesus Christ, is powerful and is effective. In other words, prayer works. And that's the series of my, that's the title of my sermon today. So are you in trouble in any way? Are you hurting? Are you suffering? If so, what, what do you do? Verse 13 tells us, you should pray. Every hardship is an invitation and an encouragement for us to bring those, that situation before the Lord in prayer. There is one thing that is common to every hardship that we face And that is that we discover that we have a greater capacity for prayer than perhaps we realized. Or perhaps you're listening to this and you're in a season in life where things are going well, where where things feel great. How should you respond? Well, again, verse 13 tells us you should give thanks to God. You should worship Him. But but friends, let's be real. Life isn't that easy, is it? It's not one or the other. It, It isn't everything is peachy or everything is falling apart. In in all reality, life is a combination of difficulty and hardship while also having many reasons to be thankful. I've taught from Psalm 130 before, which uh, David, as the author of that Psalm, gives us permission to weep while also acknowledging the power of worship. Worship. I'll never forget some dear friends of ours back in South Africa many years ago who were preparing to emigrate to the States and they came to church that morning having just found out from their immigration attorneys that they weren't able to bring the children with that they had been fostering for about five or six years. And I'll never forget seeing them walking into church that morning and then coming at the front of the church while worship was happening and falling on their knees and raising their hands in worship to God while tears were streaming down their face. Friends, verse 13 challenges challenges us to be those who can worship in the midst of weeping. And also to be those who are able to weep in the midst of worshiping. And prayer is the way that we get to express that. So the church in Jerusalem was, and we need to be a praying church, but in praying, verse 14 through 16, tell us they were also a faith-filled church. Number four, the church in Jerusalem, we need to be a faith-filled church. Verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? And this is our conviction too in the lights of Scripture, that every single follower of Jesus has been given authority in Jesus' name over every sickness and the power to drive out the work of the devil. And James expected, and to be honest, we should too, and we do in the lights of Scripture, that every elder and every church member will pray for people to be healed. And that praying for healing is not some last ditch effort in the hope that it'll work and we'll give it a try, but rather as verse 15 promises, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now James starts this interesting kind of section of scripture by singling out the elders. But as we're gonna see in verse 16, he's not doing so at the expense of others. So if you're watching this and you're not an elder, don't think, well, I don't have to pray for the sick. You're gonna see something in a few verses from now. He he singles out the elders, I think because sheep tend to look towards their shepherd when they are sick or when they are struggling. And and the shepherd is what the elders are called in 1 Peter chapter five and in other parts of scripture. They are called shepherds of God's flock. And for what it's worth, the elders here at Anthem Church take the privilege and the responsibility of praying for those who are sick and struggling here at Anthem Church. We, we take that responsibility very seriously. Often before every elders meeting, we spend time praying over folks who are going through difficult times. We, we exchange texts and emails and Slack messages, keeping one another up to date about how su- folks in the church are doing so that we can pray. And obviously on Sundays, as we gather at the end of the, ch- the church service, we, we gather so that we can pray for those who are sick. James interestingly mentions that the elders, or as we pray, we should be anointing with oil. Why, why, why is that? Well, I wanna be clear, there is nothing magical about the oil. Just as when someone is baptized into water or or there is laying on of hands, those things, as with the anointing of oil, symbolize something. And in the case of the oil, it symbolizes the elders' faith in and trust in and reliance on the Holy Spirit. I've been particularly challenged by this part of verse 15 because if I'm honest, I've been quick to dismiss the anointing of oil as, as unnecessary or as, or as old fashioned, but because it is in the New Testament and it is clearly a way that God heals, and it is, I need to own this, which I have, and I need to put it into practice as the Holy Spirit leads, which I will. Now, the part of verse 15 that I think is most challenging for us all when we read this is the part of verse 15 that says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now that's an incredible amount of certainty that James is writing with. When we all pray for the sick, We have varying degrees of faith. When we pray for somebody or when we receive prayer for healing, we we, we all have varying degrees of faith and we pray with respect to that faith. Whenever I pray for someone who is sick, I will always pray with faith, even if that faith is as small as a mustard seed. And generally what I will do before praying is I'll ask the person, do you have faith that God will heal you? Jesus did exactly that. Jesus went so far as to ask a blind person, what, I, what can I do for you? And it was, the reason he did that is it was a way for them to articulate their faith in what, they, in what God was able to do. And so together, as we pray, our, my faith with the person who is receiving prayer, our faith together, we bring that before the Lord. Now that is good and right, right? But I don't think that's what James is referring to in verse 15. First Corinthians 12 talks about the gift of faith. God, which is a God-given, supersized measure of faith for a particular situation. And in the context of healing, in the context of verse 15 right here, it's the absolute conviction that God is able and willing to heal and he plans to do so right now. I've been on the receiving end of this a couple of years ago, a friend of mine had a remarkable word of knowledge, a situation, a health situation that I was battling with that she had no idea about. And she brought it forward and said she believed God wanted to heal. And she prayed for me and I was healed. And graciously, I've also been on the other end of that, actually having a word, a, a, the gift of faith to pray for somebody. If I'm completely honest, there are times when I do pray and I have prayed, Not always, but there are times when I have prayed, when I tend to pray a little longer than I should because maybe I'm trying to convince myself or convince the person that I'm praying for that God will heal them. But there've been a few times where I've known with absolute certainty that God is gonna heal. And I've simply said, be healed in Jesus' name. And they were. And that's what I think James is referring to. And then verse 15 ends, the Lord will raise him up And if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now, don't be alarmed by this verse. It's not as confusing as it seems. James is simply affirming the teaching of Jesus that sometimes, but not always, sometimes sickness is connected to sin. And in this case, because this man was healed, his sin, if connected to the sickness, was also forgiven. So the church in Jerusalem was a praying church, a faithful church, and still in connection to prayer, lastly, the church in Jerusalem was also a humble church. Verse 16 says, Therefore, therefore, in the light of God's willingness to heal and to forgive sins, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Friends, I I, I know you know this to be true, but let me say this, every single follower of Jesus is a believer priest. And so we need to be able to be humble towards one another in confessing our sins and weaknesses so that we can move forward as a united team. And, And this happens all the time, obviously with some wisdom and with some specific do's and don'ts and never publicly, but it can be done before praying for somebody. It can be done in your life group or it can be done over coffee with a leader or a friend. Now, although James doesn't specifically mention this, I suspect that when he's encouraging us to confess our sins, I think he's referring, I I suspect he's referring specifically to bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness that people may be carrying. There's something poisonous about not admitting those areas of sin. And when we don't do that, when we hold on to bitterness or unforgiveness, it eats away at our hearts and our souls. David, in fact, in Psalm 32, where, uh, uh, Psalm 32 was written after he had confessed that he was part of the murder of Bathsheba's husband. He writes this, he says, when I kept silent, when I didn't confess my sin, my bones wasted away. But then I acknowledged my sin to you, to the Lord, and you forgave me my guilt. Verse 16 ends with what I referred to earlier, that none of us, that there is no one who is off the hook for praying for people to be healed by the power of God. Now you might hear that and you might think to yourself, well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do or what to say. And can I suggest that God is less concerned about that than we might be. It can be something as simple as this. Lord, would you increase my faith? Help me to believe. Lord, would you release your power to heal this person in Jesus' name? And Lord, above all else, let them know that you love them. And how do we know this will work? Verse 16, and I I wanna read verse 16 this time from the Amplified Version. Listen to this. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous believer can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. My kids growing up have been absolutely brutal in some of their names that they've given their grandparents. Now, this is not behind the grandparents' backs. The grandparents know, knew all about this, but Debs' mom was called Granny Stick Up Hair, and her stepmom, Debs's stepmom, was called Granny Longlegs. But the worst of all, and the most scathing nickname, was our girls called my mother Granny Chicken Skin. And the reason they called her that was because as the older she got, she had that kind of chicken skin hanging beneath her chin. If James was, if the author of the book of James, James was our kid's grandpa, I suspect they would have called him Grandpa Camel Knees. And the reason I say that is because there's actually an excerpt from a second century historian There's this about James. James was in the habit of entering alone into the temple and he was frequently found upon his knees begging forgiveness for the people. And as a result, his knees became hard like those of a camel because of the way he constantly bent them in his worship of God and in asking forgiveness for the people. You see, James developed camel knees because he put his teaching into practice. And he ends this letter, he ends this section by encouraging us to develop camel knees of our own. Verse 17 says this, Elijah was a human being even as we are. Now, we don't have time, but I would encourage you to go and read 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. Elijah was a prophet sent by God when the nation of Israel had turned their backs on God. And the reason that James says Elijah was someone just like us was because if you read the sections in 1 Kings, you'll notice very quickly that Elijah struggled with discouragement. And he wrestled with unbelief and he was fearful. But yet, verse 18 tells us that he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. As unglamorous as it was, Elijah changed his nation primarily through prayer. Prayer with faith, Prayer with surrender produces great breakthrough. So what can we learn from how Elijah prayed? I wanna just leave you with four things. Again, this is taken from First Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. We don't have time to turn there, but let me just leave you with four things that we can go away with and hopefully put into practice. Firstly, Elijah withdrew to be alone with God. We cannot allow others' expectations or the busyness of the day to define the time that we have to be with God. No, our time with God defines how we respond to others' expectations and how we approach the day. So I wanna ask you, do you set time aside to pray and to be with God? Secondly, Elijah called on God as God revealed himself. And we see this pattern throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. God initiates and continues relationship by continually making himself known. And and we get to call on his name. In other words, by calling on God as he has made himself known. I'm not on social media, but you all know what an Instagram handle is. An Instagram handle is, 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 is the name of somebody on Instagram and you can take hold of it, as it were. You can, you, you can get to know someone through that Instagram handle by taking hold of it, albeit you're not really getting to know them because you're just seeing their Instagram self. God's names are like handles. We get to take hold of them. We get to relate to him through how he has made himself known. And the greatest way that God has revealed himself is as Father. Jesus tells us that we get to call him Abba Father. Such an intimate way that Jesus referred to his Father. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to start our Father. So how is God or how is God making himself known to you? Thirdly, Elijah prayed in response to God's promises. Not only did God reveal himself to us as in terms of who he is, but also he would reveal what he plans to do. He would reveal his promises. And the wonder of prayer It is not that we we think to ourselves, well, if God has promised, then why do I need to do anything? No, the wonder of prayer is that the promises of God inspire and fuel our focus on prayer. Lord, you promised that you would do this. And so I call on your name and I call on your faithfulness for you to do exactly as you promised. And so let me ask you this morning, what has God promised you? Elijah withdrew to be with God. Elijah called on God. Elijah prayed in response to God's promises. And then lastly, Elijah prayed fervently and continuously. Sometimes I think when it comes to prayer, we we sit down and we, we almost wait for prayer to take over us. But friends, that's not the way it happens. We need to. Pray ourselves into prayer. If you are alone, take a passage of Scripture and begin to read it through and then to begin to pray that back to God. If you, are, if you are part of a prayer meeting and have gathered with others to pray, don't stand there not doing anything or participating. As others begin to pray, begin to pray those prayers quietly to yourself and you'll see the Spirit of God begin to stir, stir, stir up in us. He begins to enable us to pray fervently, but also to pray continuously. I think sometimes we pray prayers once and then we don't pray them again. And I think God wants us to pray, certainly through the life of Elijah. He wants us to pray continually until we see the promises that God has made over us. We played this little game in South Africa when we were growing up. We would run up to homes, hide in the bush, and then run to the door, knock on the door, and then when the person answered, we would run away. Silly game. We had tons of fun. But I think sometimes that's how we pray. We run up to God as it were. We knock on the door, and then we run away before He is able to answer. If you're not seeing the answer to your prayer, I wanna encourage you, ask, and then keep on asking. Seek, and keep on seeking and knock and go on knocking. Have you given up praying for the things you believe that God has promised you? I wanna end this morning by reading verse 16 from the Amplified Version again. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous believer can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic, and can have tremendous power. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word that you have and do continually make yourself known through your word. I pray, Lord God, that those of us listening to this message today would be those who who would take hold of your word and that we would treasure it in our hearts And we would be those who would call on your name as you've revealed yourselves and those who would go after your promises as you've made your promises known. I pray for anyone watching this morning who does not know you as Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, I ask in Jesus' name that that they would have the courage to admit their need for a Savior. I pray, Lord God, that you would give them faith to believe in who you are, the Son of God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that they today would commit their life to you. Lord, I pray for just such a spirit of prayer to sweep through Anthem Church in this season. I pray, Lord God, that our prayer lives would grow, our hearts would be filled with faith, and and we would see you as the one who is faithful to fulfill all of your promises. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.